When life happens, plans need to change. Shaping Change, hosted by certified financial planner Ross Marino, is dedicated to helping financial advisors better serve their clients when life takes those unexpected turns. Welcome to the Shaping Change show. I'm joined today by Dr. Roger Landry, the author of one of my favorite books, Live Long and Die Short. I have a stack of them in my office, and it's uh, one of the few books that I actually give out to clients. Love the book. Really insightful. Dr. Landry, thanks for being on the show. Ross, what a pleasure. This is long overdue, isn't it? You know, this, it I, is long overdue. I think we've been planning this for, uh, well, a while. We'll just go with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Something got in, in between our, uh, our first uh, scheduled meeting. I think it was started with a P, a pandemic. Yeah. There, there you go. My, minor delay, not a big deal. So here we are. You have a lot of research, a lot of knowledge on aging, on longevity. But before we dive into what you've learned and what you've written about, I'd like the listeners to understand your history so we get a, a view of what your perspective is and how you've come to this point where you have so much insight into this. So can you give us a little background on yourself? Well, you're too kind. That was a very nice statement. Uh, uh, well, like uh, most people, I got to where I am by a route I never predicted. Very circuitous. I uh, certainly wanted to be a physician, uh, and I uh, did that. But shortly after internship, uh, something was happening in Southeast Asia. So I went there, seemingly, I thought, for just two years and then go be a cardiologist. Well, uh, I volunteered to uh, be a flight surgeon. That is not someone who cuts someone. Surgeon is a military term for physician. And I took care of flyers and they're healthy. And so that was a preventive medicine specialty. And I learned about prevention and I began to respect it and uh, appreciate it so much more. And uh, ultimately, after a, just a fantastic career, I stayed in for 23 years. I was the chief flight surgeon of the Air Force at the Air Force Surgeon General's office. And I was in charge of flight of prevention for the entire force and their families and retired in them and uh, loved it even more. And uh, when I left the military, I said, well, where am I going to use my prevention skills? I tried for a little while in clinical medicine. They're really still not prepared to, to do that. I, a CEO told me I was hurting their revenue by doing good prevention. <laughs> so uh, just about that time, my brother, who had been uh, the, the uh, chief financial officer of the MacArthur Foundation, called me, said they had just finished their 10-year-long study on aging. They found that lifestyle was the major determinant in how we age. Therefore, it was really up to us. We had a demographic that was exploding. And so I said, bingo, there it is. And so I began began that with them uh, to develop Masterpiece Living, which is now Masterpiece, with my brother and a team. And we've been doing that for 20 years, mostly partnering with senior living communities, but sending a message to everyone at any age, but particularly older adults, that you know what? How you age is really up to you. I wonder how many tracks through medicine would actually have a hyper focus on preventative that it sounds so unique from traditional medicine or western medicine i guess you would call it where your history is literally preventative for people who were healthy to begin with i mean is that am i just ignorant on it or is that pretty uncommon for medicine uh, it is. When I uh, when I made the decision to do that, I was within the military and the military had great appreciation for this. I mean, this is why they invested in prevention. They didn't want to lose airplanes. They didn't want to lose train lives. And uh, and so uh, they were heavily invested. And then I found 
this wasn't the case in medicine. And when my uh, colleagues would find out what I was doing, they were saying, what? Explain that to me. You know, really, are you kidding? And uh, today, I think it's much stronger, but still woefully short. And, you know, part of prevention is public health. And so this last year, I've been using a lot of those skills. Uh, I got a degree in public health. And, uh, and, and I think more and more people appreciate now uh, what population health is, what it is about keeping uh, a large group, the population healthy. So it's coming, Ross, but boy, I was taking the road less travel there for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there's no doubt about that. And the theme for the podcast or show and really the book that we just brought out that I co-authored with Susan Bradley is Life Happens and Plans Change. And I know that as a financial planner, that's why most inbound calls come into me is because life happened, plans change, and people need help making decisions. And what really caught me about the book is through the aging process, there's many changes that they are traumatic. They're eventually catastrophic, and we have to help clients through these. But as I read your analysis with the MacArthur study and I went through your book, all I kept hearing over and over is, it doesn't have to be this way. I can change the odds if I do things differently. So the message seems like it's life happens. However, I do have some level of influence over that, and I actually have a choice over that. Is that what you're getting at? Absolutely. Uh, the MacArthur study was the first uh, seminal work and every all research sense has showed us that the decisions we make every day regarding our lifestyle, you know, uh, the whole in a holistic way, physical, mental, social, finding meaning and purpose. Those are the things that 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 are the major determinant in how we age up to 70 percent, Ross, 70 percent. I know you know this, but I'm sure most of your listeners don't. When that first came out in the 90s, that just blew the blew the head off all stereotypes. So we found out aging doesn't have to be about decline only. We're not Pollyanna about it. I mean, stuff happens. Change happens, as you so well put in your book with Susan Bradley. And 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 it's a matter of how we respond to that. And, and how ready we are for change in general. You're never ready for the change because you, you just about can't predict it. But being ready for a change because they come. Uh, the Maasai say life is change. And some of us have to take a long road to find that out. But that's the key. And that's really up to you. The choices that you make every day from uh, how much you move, you learn, yeah, how well you stay connected. Uh, or do you have meaning and purpose now in your life? Maybe you did before. Do you have it now? These are extremely important decisions and have uh, repercussions that are just uh, exponentially uh, as far as return on, in, on investment. So you mentioned the number 70%, which I remember reading in the book. Can you define that a little more and tell us exactly what you're referring to? I'm referring to the 10-year-long the study took a cohort of people. In fact, uh, some of them were twins who lived in different households. They were Swedish twins. And it was common then in a socialistic country, especially after the war, uh, that someone couldn't raise both. So they might go to different households. And they, they tracked those twins. They, they did a meta-analysis of all the research that out there. And what they found, that it was not genes that were the major determinant, which was the, 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 on, the ongoing belief that if you could choose your parents, everything would be great. Well, it's partially true, but uh, they found that it, indeed it was the lifestyle because here you had twins who were, had the same genes and, uh, and yet their lives turned out differently based upon 
their choices. We found this in long-term perspective studies, at the Harvard studies, the nurses study, the, and, uh, and it, it just keeps repeating it, uh, itself. And so it was uh, up to 70% of the difference between uh, you know, uh, those who, uh, who essentially just lived their lives, didn't pay attention to their lifestyle, and those who did pay attention to their life, move, learn, connect, purpose, that, uh, that's, that the difference between them that was, was up to 70% for physical, at least 50 for intellectual, for mental. And uh, very, very uh, stringent, long-term, very rigorous study, social, social study, which they're a little more difficult, but it was very powerful, still is. That really stuck out with me. And I remember in the book, you also talked about authentic needs. Could you define that and talk a little about that? I'd love to. The, you know, what we require to be healthy and what we require to have a high quality of life and what we require to be healthy as we age seems to all being aligned these days. And as I was doing the research on my book, Certainly authentic means being true to yourself. And I think that is important, but I was referring more to us as a species. You know, it's tough to get your head wrapped around it, but for 99% of the time that humans have walked the earth, 99%, we were hunter gatherers. And so we lived a certain way in a close knit group, moving a lot, being very physical, uh, again, the connection, uh, everyone had a role, purpose, and that's how we live for so long. It's, it's in our very DNA, something that's not going to change in a few hundred years since the Industrial Revolution or even a, a millennium, uh, because that's only a drop in the bucket for the time we've been on Earth. And so these are core requirements, core needs we have as humans to be healthy, to be, have a high quality of life, and to have a healthy longevity. And they are once again, these lifestyle choices of, of moving and continuing to challenge your brain and learn and learning great things about that as far as what you can do with your brain, even in older uh, and later on in life. But this connection thing, being connected to others in a substantive way and remaining that way and having meaning and purpose always in your life, it changes. Those two in particular are critical authentic needs to for healthy longevity. You list 10 tips within the book, and I know you've rattled off a few of them. And as we were starting this interview, I mentioned one of my uh, favorite quotes that I heard recently. And the question was, when was the last time you did something for the first time? And oh. I asked how that applies to your work. And of course, you just start rattling off because it's so many different areas. So let, let's talk a little bit about that. And we'll set it up by saying, I know it's a challenge as people go into retirement and age that their world shrinks. We see that with parents. We see that with clients. They start doing less. They're much more routine. There really isn't much for the first time. And they may say they're comfortable or they're trying not to take risks, but there's actually negative implications to that. So can you talk a little bit about that? Most certainly there are negative implications and it comes from uh, a society that, that is still steeped in ageism and it's not so much malevolent anymore, but it's just ba basically low expectations for older age. And that, and since the industrial revolution, we marginalized older adults because they weren't as productive. And that is how we see aging now. And yet that is, is, is uh, not consistent with our species history. 
Older adults were engaged. If you look at the blue zones, you know, where people get older and, and are very vital. One of the big things besides moving and learning and, and their diet and that sort of thing is the fact that they are heavily engaged in society. So uh, that that is a is a critical component. And being engaged is uh, is is, is you know, you've seen a curve that uh, you're born, you become your best and then you see a long decline now which is what we see. And we don't want that. We want to stay at high levels of performance, which is healthy longevity. It's called compression of morbidity in public health. Morbidity is when we're sick and impaired, and we want to compress that time. And how do we do that? The default position, Ross, is to decline. It is. I mean, I'll be truthful. But in order to not do that, to have a longevity that's healthy, it requires you to grow to learn new things, to try new things. That's important for the brain. We're learning about neuroplasticity in the brain. We're, we're the architects of our brain. If we learn new things, we're growing new brain tissue. But it's also important for our emotional self, our, uh, our purposeful self, our connected self, that we try new things, that we learn new things, that, that we scare ourselves a bit, you know, uh, rationally, but get out of our comfort zone. The uh, Ellen Langer from Harvard, great book, Counterclockwise, she talks about this and you can change your physiology and, and this whole idea of uh, older, older age is only about decline. It's garbage. Our muscles can respond like a 30-year-old almost if we use them. Our brain, almost like a 30-year-old, you know, with some exceptions, of course, if we use it. And it's the same with our meaning and purpose and our connection. It's, uh, it's really magical, but it's not particularly rocket science. Use it or lose it, right? So I think it was uh, Barbara Haggerty from NPR. In her book, she mentioned a study where they asked people, how old do you feel? And some people said a year or an age younger than their biological age, some said older, and then they track those people for the next few years. You know exactly how that played out. So can you talk a little bit about why that is such an important issue? Yes, that was, a, that was an excellent study. And uh, Ellen Langer, who I just referred to at Harvard, uh, she, she actually did a study, let me tell you, it's in, it's in the book. But uh, she took men in their 70s back in the in the 1970s and and she recreated a place from the 50s and yep. she brought these men, took pictures of them, saw, watched their movements, uh, did biological parameters, hearing vision. And in one week, as you know, Ross, these men began to behave like they were. 15, at least 10, but 15, 20 years longer, younger, their vision even got better, their photographs, their, their families were impressed. So it's a matter of expectations. Uh, and, and so she believes now she's done a lot of research since that we can actually program. Now, I don't want to get crazy. She doesn't either. But to the extent we have higher expectations of ourselves, we tend to meet them, you know, at, at least move towards them. And if they're very rational and uh, use good judgment, you can meet them. And to the extent we don't have high expectations that we buy into ages and we think it's only about decline, uh, that's really uh, more than likely what is exactly going to happen. What did Henry Ford say, Russ, if you think you can do it or you think you can't do it, you're probably right. <laughs> That study to me was, was so fascinating when they went back to 1959, I believe was the year, and they told them, you can't talk about anything that happened 
after 1959. So you literally had to immerse yourself and convince yourself that it was 1959, right? The music, the media, and their bodies <laughs> and minds. Everything, yeah. <laughs> right, and, and they respond. I mean, that is, it, it, just, it just stresses over and over the power of our mind and how we do things. And, you know, I'm not an, an older person, but yet I still find myself trying to do the routine just to save mental energy. So that's why when was the last time you did something for the first time resonated with me, because I try to do a routine as well, just to make it simple. But even though I'm not 70 or 80 years old, that may not be healthy for someone like me either. No, that's right. Rituals are important, particularly if you do them mindfully, you, you respect it, you're in the moment. But otherwise, if you just do it mindlessly, uh, they are, they, uh, you know, they don't, we know from physical uh, muscle physiology that, you know, challenging different muscles, we know for the brain for neuroplasticity. You know, I talk about this, like, like I know, I didn't always know it, Ross, and uh, this is in the book too, and maybe listeners would like it, but, you know, I had the pleasure of meeting Chuck Yeager, he actually became friends. I did a physical on him at the Air Force Flight Test Center at Edwards when uh, I was in my 30s. He was maybe in his late 50s. And uh, he told me during that uh, session that he was going to, that he was thinking of breaking the sound barrier again when on the 50th anniversary of doing it. And uh, I confessed that I said, Chuck, you'll be 73 years old. And <laughs> he looked at me and said, what is your point? And that was my first lesson in my own ageism and how we are as a society. And, and you know, he did it at 56, you know, even on the 65th anniversary. He just passed, uh, you know, he uh, was, he's had a great life, but he had great expectations for himself. And I think he's an example. I saw a bumper sticker once that said, I'm old enough to have the answers, but nobody's asking me questions anymore. <laughs> And, it, you know, we got to do something about that. You know, we have to, you know, Chip Conley wrote, wrote a book, I think it's something about wisdom, and he coined the term mentorm. And, and we should be growing as an intern, learning new things, but we also have to be mentor, mentors. You know, someone who has reached an older, why should we marginalize them? They, they are survivors. They have seen a lot. They have reacted to a lot. They have been successful to get where they are. And to just sort of ignore that as something that's obsolete is nuts. And we, we haven't done it for most of our history as a species. Uh, we have to do something about uh, connecting the generations more. It's important to have children, but just younger people in your life, both older adults and younger people will be better for it. And uh, I, I think we're on our way. There's a lot of very creative things going on, but uh, we still have a long way to go. It'll be, it'll certainly benefit older adults having such purpose. And uh, I think it will help younger adults have a little more perspective. Excellent. So we're going to wrap up part one of this interview. I've got uh, so many more questions lined up. I just looked up at the time and I thought, no, this is going to be a two-parter. So uh, I'm officially moving in and, and we're going to call this part one. So thank you so much for being on the show and we'll be back for part two. I look forward to it, Ross. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Shaping Change with Ross Marino. This show is for general information purposes only and is not intended to provide recommendations or advice. Speak with a legal, tax, or financial advisor before making any decisions. Past performance references are historical and do not guarantee future results. Visit rlsummit.com to learn more.